Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Collective. We have another awesome show for you today. It's uh, Sean and I hanging out together, talking about cool stuff, Radmaster 9000 kind of stuff. But uh, before we get into any of that, I want to make sure that everybody likes, subscribes, hits the notification bell, because if you don't, then you won't get an email and you won't hear from us every day. So make sure you do that. Uh, Sean, any thoughts? Anything on the top of your head? You guys are out in Squamish right now? No, Kelowna. Kelowna. That's uh, henceforth the dramatic lighting from a single blazing white light bulb in my on my left flank, and the uh, and the noise train underneath the door, just over to my right flank, which is called the hallway. Right on. What are you guys doing in Kelowna? Well, Evan is gonna. We're this morning going to see the University of British Columbia Okanagan because he's going to be doing year two, three, and four of engineering here in Kelowna. Nice. Nice. It'll be at least somewhat close to home, right? Yeah, three and a half hours away. Not too bad. Not too yeah. bad. That'll be Far sweet. enough away that he'll have to do his own laundry. Mm, that's critical because critical. <laughs> there were many people that showed up. Uh, I remember people showing up in basic that had never done laundry before. Yeah. So that's a skill set. Got to learn. Madness. <laughs> yes did you get uh, taught how to brush your own teeth no i didn't sergeant <laughs> all right go back to your cave <laughs> hey look at that uh carl morning morning carl hope all is well all is well we're doing well here um he's a former uh infantry pcli so always good to see uh i actually linked up with him a little while ago he was Jumped into town. We grabbed some coffee. Oh, nice. One of those. So he's, your, he's your neck of the woods. He is. He's out in Mournville, up oh, fantastic. outside of town. So More we'll probably grab. We'll probably grab coffee at some point as well. He really he wanted play. to be. He should what? be in this. He should be right now drinking coffee in your basement, having a couple he, of laughs. He should be in my basement. <laughs> if you were any kind of, if you're any kind of friend, you, you're saying you're making all these friends, and yet, what kind of poor friend are you? I'm not You're the kind of friend that no one can count on. Unbelievable. The one, the one thing you can count on is that I'm going to do my best. <laughs> yeah, you are doing your best. And you know what? You're doing way better than I am because I haven't even had my freaking morning coffee yet. Ooh. It's unbelievable. Well, that, you're going to have to rectify that. I mean, it's still early in the morning out there. Well, so I, It is. I kind of I'll, I'll allow for it. me to be drinking coffee. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> I just sit uh, any, here in my hotel room staring into a freaking massive white light bulb. While talking like to I'm me. Interrogated. Yeah, well, maybe. We could we could start if you really wanted to. Um any any thoughts? Anything uh off the top of your head that you wanna chat about, <clears throat> discuss? No. Anything? Or you begin, just wanna dive right in? Begin the interrogation. Begin the interrogation. Oh, look at that. Carl has already had a four cup French press. Oh, congratulations. Very well, nice. You you don't like. You, I remember we were talking a little while ago. You have a not a big fan of the French press. I am not, and here's why: because it creates a dirtier or muddier cup. Mm. <clears throat> now I'm sure that Carl has got it nailed. He has he has looked at it carefully and considered the nuance of how he likes his coffee. For me, I consider French press to be muddy. And it's due to how much time it spends um, uh, just hanging out in the mud of the French press. So French press is a, generally speaking, quite a big particles rather than small particles when you put it through your grinder. Mm -hmm. So it creates, I don't know, it's, it's not a clean cup, in my opinion. But it does what it does do very well, better than most other extraction techniques, is it gives a lot of heft, a lot of mouthfeel. So it feels like it feels like a substantial coffee in the morning due to its heft. But that isn't clarity. Clarity in a in a coffee cup presents a far uh, lighter palette. So there's way less heft, and it's because of the particulates uh in in that sort of other uh various forms of extraction techniques it provides a very clear almost like tea like experience versus a milkshake like experience does that make uh, sense yeah yeah absolutely um oh look at that he's already he's, 
I have two different two different types, one for fine, one for coarse. Also, temperature of water changes the cleanliness of the blend. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Particularly when you start considering whether it's a high-grown uh, coffee or a low-grown coffee on a on a elevation basis, depending on mm -hmm. the country. And then, of course, it depends on how how deep or not the roast is being taken. If it's if it's a really really dark roast, well, I mean, it, who cares what the temperature is? You could brew that in a uh, in a puddle on the side of the road, and uh, and it would taste the same if it's really burned coffee. But you know the Carl is right. Uh, fine and coarse grind will significantly change uh, things, as will the temperature of the water. Yeah, i i have a I have a little French press and I have a big French press, and I have uh, mm. my little one is for my um, uh, my jet boil. So when I when I'm off hunting, oh, yeah, yeah. and I can do a quick French press in the morning when I'm out in the off on the trails, and it works quite well. But you're right, there mm. it's uh, it is a muddy type of coffee. Now, I should say this, and, and I'm sure that Carl is aware of this because he seems like he's kind of on the program. And it comes off of a conversation I had just before we left uh, Roslyn to come out here to Kelowna, and it was with the partner of my osteopath. And so they're heavy onto my coffee right now. They're just uh, humongo fans. And so when I was giving him the bag, I said, listen, I roasted that on the 27th of March. It's some Kenyan, it's a Kenyan Kiriyagi, uh, Rungedo Karamakui. How about that? Right off the top of my head. It, it kind of sounds like you're making up words. <laughs> I'm just I'm just hitting it with the exclams, baby. Exclams. Yeah. Good old exclams. So um, I I gave them this Kenyan and I said, hey, listen, you know, it's it's gonna present this, this, and this taste profile, but depending on how you extract it, and he says, Oh, I use the Bialetti. Are you familiar with the Bialetti? No. Like Italian, you you kind of screw the two pieces together, put them on your stove. It looks like a little kind of stove toddy kind oh, of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The stove. Is it kind of like a percolator, but it is smaller? kind of like a yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And kind My of like a, is one of those. Right. It's it's old school, mm -hmm. and uh, th that's that's what made me think uh, from your comment being out uh, on a jet boil. It's kind of. It's kind of old schooly, jet boily kind of combo coffee mm -hmm. maker thing. Anyway, I said, "Hey, that's a great idea." I said, "How's your coffee turning out for you? Is it is it good, or are you happy with it?" And he said, "Yeah, I really like it. I do this, I do that." And I said, "Have you ever heard of a guy called James Hoffman?" He's like, "No." I said, "You too. That's your next task. You're going to go find James Hoffman. He's the man. He's going to teach you a whole bunch of different things, and he'll." talk about things like maybe putting a wet towel or a wet dishcloth on your Bialetti to cool it down at a certain phase of the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, James Hoffman. And so after I'd said that to him, he was like really open-minded, really like, that's the first thing I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. And, and on, on the last coffee that you roasted first and on this coffee that, and he, so he had lots of questions and really good questions. And then he followed up his questions with, and I'm going to do that, Sean, for sure. I'm going to check that out. Really open-minded. So, you know, there's people who've been drinking coffee for 20 years, have never given a thought. And even if you gave them a thought, they wouldn't listen to you because their coffee is their coffee. And that's it. That's all. But this dude was all over it. You know, well, this is a uh, coffee's a very, it can be a very personal thing. And, and it's also indicative. Indicative? How? Uh, so uh, it can be a personal thing, as can be a lot of things, but True. then those can be turned into it's my thing, and now it's my way, and then it's the only way. And that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Now, well, let me. Well, let's start. You know, let's dive into coffee because. <laughs> I'm I'm enjoying this conversation. I'm learning it's stuff right off the bat. I'm liking it. I, I don't um, know much about it, but I'll give it my best effort. I think you know a little bit, just like little tidbits that you might be able to share with us. Um, <laughs> so, I was always told that um, that the darker the roast of the beans, the less caffeine there is. But what else does what else happens? Like when as you roast them, what happens to the beans themselves? How does it mm. how does it actually change them? In order to make them different quite, quite a bit. That's a good question. So uh, as you can imagine, the, the beans show up green, green coffee beans. And depending on how high grown or low grown, by that I mean their elevation. So 
you know, there's beans in Ethiopia that are really, really high growing. And so those high grown beans will also be like perhaps called natural uh, process uh, beans. So by natural, that means the difference is they're not washed. So you'll have natural processed, you'll have washed processed. And, and these are just broad uh, generalizations. Yesterday, before we came on this trip, I had a coffee from Elkin Guzman uh, in Colombia, and that was a hydro honey natural process. And so there's many different ways to process coffee, but we're going to keep it super simple, call it natural and washed. Mm -hmm. So in Ethiopia, they're really high growing. Oh, look, at, that's my wife. <laughs> Hello, dear. <laughs> no big deal. Just a podcast. It's, it's really <laughs> Live to the world. Yeah, I love it. You know, welcome to my jungle. So um, high grown in Ethiopia. They are really, really dense beans and typically quite small beans mm -hmm. because they're up like mega high and they don't when the beans are grown and when they're pulled from the shrub, they're really, really dense and contain uh, lower moisture. So think of them like as a raisin rather than a grape, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So when it comes time to roast, a high-grown Ethiopian versus a low-grown, um, we'll call it maybe a, um, a Hawaiian or Jamaican, Blue Mountain Coffee, which is quite famous, not for the right reasons. It's just massive marketing uh, way mm. back in the 80s and 90s. Low-grown coffee, it'll be more like a grape than it will be a raisin. And when you're roasting both of those two green coffee beans, they will produce different results in the roaster. Of course, the, the really moist bean will start blowing off moisture, whereas the really hard, high-growing bean won't blow off as much moisture. So think of it now, a coffee bean, as like this really big thing. What In it, it, it has cellular structure. So what happens when you start adding heat, that cellular matrix starts fracturing and cracking. And at a certain temperature what'll happen is you'll hear something called first crack and it'll be a it'll be like a almost machine gun fire going off in your roaster quietly yeah. or like a popcorn machine yeah just like a tick 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 that's right but it'll be yeah. quite loud uh, yeah. first crack is quite violent okay uh, in the on the green coffee bean and then it after first uh, crack ends, it'll come down off the first crack and you'll have this intermediary phase between first crack and what's called second crack. Second crack is when things are starting to get, I'll call them um, medium roast, uh, kind of moving out of a medium roast profile towards more of a darker roast profile. Mm. I tend to play around with my coffee roaster once first crack starts then I'm dropping my temperatures, increasing my airflow in my roaster to not have what the roaster's doing is impacting the bean now with heat and smoke in a negative way. So it's at this point where you've got to be careful not to um, taint the coffee bean. And by that, I mean like my job as a roaster is different than maybe a lot of other roasters who are just trying to create uh, as much coffee as fast as possible to the common masses, which is more dark and burned and don't really have to care about the flavor profile of the bean. Whereas mm -hmm. I'm trying to custom roast the coffee. So it presents what the farmer was trying to grow that, that year. So his crop will have a certain taste profile. If it's roasted really, really well, it might be like uh, clementine oranges it might have some notes of lavender in it it might have some notes of vanilla uh, madagascar vanilla it might finish off with a, even a little bit of sweet strawberry on the back end mm -hmm. so the farmers beans that season will be able to provide some general tasting notes or cupping notes or some expectations of if it's roasted well it will taste like this glorious cup of coffee but it'll never see its full potential if the roaster just like cranks up the heat, walks out, you know, makes dinner, comes back and, and sees it black, black coffee beans and thinks, fantastic, that's coffee. But it isn't. It's a beverage that is black. 
that's called coffee, but it's not representative of what coffee can give you. So well-roasted coffee will be able to provide a, an amazing uh, cup of coffee. And by the way, just 10 seconds here or 10 seconds there on either side of what we'll call the sweet spot will mm -hmm. create significantly different notes in the cup. So it might strip out the Madagascar vanilla bean and it might replace that with more of a clover honey. If you just go over that extra 10 seconds, instead of a sweet, pure vanilla sense, it'll morph into more of a caramelized higher order sweetness. And, and what you're doing is you're, you're kind of getting your, your chef on in a sense. That's but what that I was. It takes a lot of time. You yeah. know, uh, if you want to be Anthony Bourdain, uh, you've got to spend 10,000 hours, to, you know, flipping eggs for a little yeah. while. And so, but I've been roasting for over 15 years and I've done a lot of roasts. I mean, a lot of roasts. And so uh, I've made enough mistakes. I've drank enough coffee. I've tasted enough things that I put out a pretty good uh, product. I, I really love how you you, uh, you added that in, in the fact that you, that the, the 10 seconds either way on either side of your, you know, ideal timing is mm -hmm. indicative of, how you like your coffee right and that mm -hmm. if you if you want to try these particular beans in this particular style i mean you, you'd have to try it with a lighter uh you know your you have to. or 10 you, seconds you really early do. on yeah. timing 10 seconds after and find that yeah. note and go oh this is the one i like and then make sure that that's do you find that um each every time you get a shipment in of like new beans say from the same area obviously each season is going to be different, right? Like you're going to mm -hmm. get slightly different flavor profiles per season. Mm -hmm. But do you find that there's some, some generality within the beans like that? You, you yeah. know, that if you, if you time it for, you know, six minutes on this particular bean from the Ethiopian side of it, these will be good to go for the most part. And then there's some fine tuning or is it like each batch is a completely new experience? Oh, that's a good question. So with generalities, <clears throat> the high grown sort of, we'll call them Ethiopian style beans versus the low grown uh, softer beans, I have uh, roasting profiles for them. But I will say this, that a roasting profile for me is a generality based on, we'll call it the region or the elevation. Okay. But then when I'm in the moment, it's all about the, uh, the black magic, baby, the dark science you know, feeling the bean as, as it were. So I, I roast by feel, uh, by smell, by, by my senses. I can, of course, I can hear the bean in the roaster performing. I can smell it. I can, I've got a little trier. So in, in the front of my roaster and the face of my roaster, it's called a trier. It's a little thing that you can turn. Oh, and, and it's got like three or four like little beans right. in it. Yeah, some yeah. beans you can smell, look, put it back in, turn it. They drop back into the roaster and the roaster keeps turning and presto changes. So I can keep pulling my trier and looking, smelling. So I'm always engaging my senses when I'm roasting. Plus, mm. I'm on the data. Um, yeah. So I'm combining a lot of things, a lot of experience, I suppose, and my senses and trying to interact with the coffee in a way that I think it's going to present the best representation of what the farmer was trying to do that year. Mm. And by the way, every year, every season, sometimes it's twice a year in growing regions. Sometimes it'll only be a once a year thing, irrespective of how many times it's different every year the crop is different every year because it is a, a lot of these places uh, are grown like on a, on a, maybe a, a sun facing slope or maybe mm -hmm. shaded, maybe yeah. it's banana trees or maybe it's this tree or maybe it's whatever, something that is protecting the beans from the wind, from the moisture, from the sun, whatever the soil is doing. It's every year is very, very different. That's for sure. Mm. What about, um, there's a super famous kind of coffee that comes from uh, certain, I think it's bats that eat them? No, and then, it's, a, it? it's a civet cat. So oh, right. It's called, it's called Kopi Luwak, K-O-P-I mm. uh, Luwak. Uh, anyway, it, it, what it is, it, the, the animal will forge through the, the forest to eat up these cherries and then pass them through their digestive tract, basically taking a dump. Yep. 
and then they're retrieved by local farmers now. Here's here's the interesting thing about Kopi Luwak. It's of course it's it's quite expensive if it's mm -hmm. authentic. And I've had the authentic Kopi Luwak, the expensive good stuff uh, that's legit. And I'll get to that in a sec. But I've also had the other stuff, which is basically a fake product, for lack of a better term. Now, you got to make a decision with Kopi Luwak. At one point, it was all authentic and naturally uh, harvested through a natural process. Uh, and then many years later, once it started becoming famous, it started getting exploited. So the civic cats were being trapped, put in cages, living their whole life in cages, force-fed coffee uh, cherries. Mm -hmm. uh, that then they were passing as fast as they could and they basically use the animal uh to become like a you know a, a coffee creating machine until yeah, a little harvester or whatever yeah. yeah a little harvester which is you know totally not cool and mm -hmm. so two one satch two different kinds of uh coffee processes two different end results mm -hmm. and so um it can be an amazing coffee a buddy of mine sent me some really expensive Kopi Luwak. I roasted it when we were living down in Houston, uh, just outside of Houston, Texas. And uh, it turned out to be one of the most amazing experiences uh, I've had with coffee. And here's why a buddy of mine, John, would come over every lunchtime for coffee at my place. I'd be pulling shots all the time and uh, roasting all the time. So he knew I had this Kopi Luwak. We were just like, oh our first real Kopi Luwak and I roasted it. I wonder if it's going to be good. And so we pulled shots on this and, um, or I pulled shots on it. And then I did a little, you know, a four ounce, had these little four ounce uh, cups that I brought back from Vietnam, our six week uh, family trip. And uh, there we are drinking these little four ounces of this Kopi Luwak that I've roasted. And I got to say, buddy, at that moment, as we both confirmed, we were the richest men in the world. Mm -hmm. And here's why. Because it was a Kopi Luwak sent to me, a rare coffee from a friend who'd spent a lot of money. I'd roasted it. We'd waited the perfect amount of time based on all of our coffee knowledge at that time. I pulled a perfect shot to the best of my ability after pulling tens of thousands of shots on my three group head uh, machine in my coffee shop and all my own personal shots. Tens of thousands of shots later, I'm pulling a shot of Kopi Luwak for him and I with some, wait for it, um, raw milk, grass-fed raw milk, which was illegal at the time down in uh, Texas, mm -hmm. but I found a farmer who, who knew what to do. And so, I mean, a, a drink that was being drank by only two people in the world, based on all of the variables that oh, yeah. stacked up to create that. And as we both looked at each other, we both smiled because it's the realization that no billionaire can buy that moment. No, you, you can create, you can craft a moment with coffee that no billionaire can have. If you find the right coffee from the right roaster and you extract it the right way, you're the only man on the planet with that cup. It can't be created. It's it's kind of a as I see it, it's a real king's beverage that no king can have, yeah. Unless the king knows how to find it, you know what I'm saying? It, that's one of the you know it it extends into life as well, right? Like it's it not is. just about the coffee; it's about finding that moment in time, the moment within the moment, because mm -hmm. you're you're utilizing all of the previous moments into this one singular moment based off right. of off of all the different uh elements that could coalesce and come into one thing and then developing it and experiencing it and knowing how to experience it that's another thing because you it could is. be in that moment right somebody could just show up at your door and be like hey man oh you got coffee going on and some you're like oh sure here's a cup of coffee and without any knowledge right exactly <laughs> and i think that's uh that's a big part of it is not only understanding that you know you're part of that moment but it's about ex letting yourself experience that moment as well. And I think that's a, an interesting lesson for a lot of people. And then the fact that there's not only are there levels to the game, but that could be, who knows, the perfect cup of coffee, right? And, in that moment. And that's only defined by the end user. And I got to say this, that I've been in the relentless pursuit of it 
ever since I heard this term, the perfect cup, which by the way, was the motto for the coffee chain that I was involved with at one time that then I became franchisee of the year. <laughs> you franchisee of the year. Come on. No, you would never eat those things. Yeah. The uh, second cup, I've actually got a book uh, in my library or uh, back at home. It's called uh, the perfect cup. Uh, and uh, that it's actually referencing a, coffee estate down in Costa Rica called La Manita. Mm -hmm. uh, Doreen and I visited and I've picked coffee beans at La Manita and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, boring coffee stuff. I don't know. I think that's part of the part of the experience, right? And this, if you can go from, from the beginning of a source all the way to the end user, I think that's an experience that most people in the world never get. Like, True. And do you know what's even cool? Even cooler than that? Sure. I'm, I'm doing all of that. Plus, Frank Torres, a guy that I buy my coffee from down in Colombia, super cool farmer. Uh, I love Frank Torres's coffee. He freaking follows me on Instagram. And sometimes on my live chats, he'll come in and, and give the thumbs up or whatever. <laughs> or he'll send me DMs. Nice. I, I mean, like how weird no how weird how weirdly awesome is that as i'm talking about coffee i'm frank doesn't follow us over here on the collective but if you mm -hmm. and i were talking about coffee right now my ig frank would be all over it mm, maybe we should uh maybe i should reach out to him see if we can get him on the collective and we can have a he, conversation he doesn't uh we have to he when he hits me with dm it's an espanol and i have mm. to hit the googles to translate it so i guess i should start learning spanish then Pick up the pace, chance boss. <laughs> That's uh, I I will do my best. What can I? Uh, I will actually actually. I was thinking Spanish after I'm done French, so I'm working on oh, French yeah. right now. Then we're hitting it Spanish, just because. Why not? I've had, time. I've had to find. Uh, I've had to learn survival Spanish because I've spent a fair bit of time down in Central and South America. So mm. uh, my survival Spanish wasn't bad at one point. But it's a diminishing skill. If you're not using it, it's uh, disappearing, you know? Yeah. Languages are really tough with that. I mean, I remember when I was in a private school a long time ago, we were learning four languages at the same time. And it was Yiddish yeah. and Hebrew and French and English. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, it, we were using it every day. So it stuck with us. But now, like, yeah. there's no way I'd be able to use, utilize any. I think I can still count to 10 in Hebrew. But that's about it, right? I got little bits and pieces, so uh, it is a challenge. Uh, Satch says that sounds similar to any scenario. As individuals, <laughs> we can create an experience that no billionaire can acquire unless they put in the mat time, which is yeah. You know, I think I have said it uh, out loud, and certainly in my life, I don't think I've said it over here. But I love, I love creating the situation. Mm -hmm. I love creating rarity. Uh, I try to do it every morning with my own coffee and then I try to find other ways to do it. And I like to skill stack rarity as well. Nothing like making a cup of coffee that's like world-class and maybe only cup in Canada that morning yep. and then jumping on a bike and riding up to single track with some hoops. I, I mean, yep. skill stack things, you know what I mean? Next thing you know, you're having your own little, uh, triple billionaire lunch uh, up on some single track that uh, people would fly in anywhere to uh, go and ride you know what i mean so gotta yeah. skill stack that stuff this is part of the moments right when i'm when i'm hunting and i i bring up uh, my my wife made me some some borscht for last year and mm. uh so it was really delicious i had some uh some really great bread that had just kind of hardened on the trip down there so the outside mm -hmm. was nice and crunchy and um I was sitting there at the base of the mountains, just like staring <laughs> at the mountains by myself, eating this borscht with great bread. And those moments, no one else can have, right? Unless you're there in that moment. And I think that's, uh, as you said, skill stacking. If you get some, mm -hmm. some good food or some good people or some good times or, um, what was it? Uh, Satch came out to, or not Satch, um, Seb came out to Edmonton a little while ago. And him and I linked up and we were at a cigar bar and we were sitting there oh, yeah. smoking cigars and had a dinner and there was fires going and we had these great conversation. Again, those moments, unless you are actively involved in them, can just disappear. They can just become well, 
Do you want to hear something funny? Sure. So, as Seb doesn't know this, <clears throat> he probably never will know this because he won't listen to this, but too bad for him. So, uh, something funny, when Seb came to town and it was when we were doing the one week, uh, he hung out uh, in Rosalind and we captured about 25 hours of audio mm. um, as part of that process. So. Um, Tanya was in town, uh, mm -hmm. super cyan, magical girl, and she wanted to shoot some photos. So Seb said, well, let's go get some photos out on, uh, you know, out in the forest, out in your mountains here in Roslyn. I said, oh, I've got the perfect place because at that time his leg was uh, a bit crunked up mm. and I didn't want him walking too far. So I took him up. Uh, we drove up, we got out and walked about maybe three minutes down a tiny little trail. And then she shot a bunch of photos. I ride that trail nearly every day. It's called Blue Elephant. Mm -hmm. And the spot where we 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 were taking some photos, he actually broke out some cigars. I was like, bro, I don't smoke cigars. And he's like, well, you do today. Check, light it up. Let's let's get after it. So there's some photos of him and I having some cigars up on Blue Elephant. And I mean, literally the day before we came here, I was I rode through that spot as I do nearly every day. And every time I blast through there. I smile yeah. because I took Seb there so that I could not relive it every day. I mean, that'd be weird, but just to connect to a moment that I could shape in any way, I could have taken him anywhere Yeah, and it wouldn't have been part of my daily sort of baseline check-in or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you take someone out in the middle of nowhere that you've never gone before and you'll never go again, it's not that it's a one-time experience, but it's a it's a fleeting moment. <clears throat> it's a fleeting moment that you don't ever get to relive again, except mm. in your mind. Yep. But if you if you can put it somewhere where you can check in nearly yeah. every day, yeah, it's a yeah, little more you, real. Yeah, you get to walk past it, and it brings uh, or walk past or ride past or you know a drive through it or whatever that. Uh, sequences there's lots of memories that i have in my life of things that were cool that i don't think i'll ever go near again because they're just they're off somewhere else right 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 there were moments uh my wife and i we drove down to california from edmonton uh we took the uh the 101 the coast road the windy one that oh, goes yeah, down, the coast. down through oregon yeah yeah beautiful That's road nice. um yeah. and there were a couple of spots where we stopped and we'd have these little moments together and uh I don't know if we're ever going to drive down there again, so I'll, I may not. never see that, right? But I have the memories, but it would be so much better to have that built into a daily, like, oh, yeah, yeah that was nice. Oh, yeah, that was nice. Like, it allows you to yeah, relive that moment. It, it's not just a, oh, yeah, that's nice, but you can contemplate things with connection. Mm, that's a great point. And develop the connection as well. Yeah, because you get sure. to Not so much relive the experience but you get to dive into that experience and i guess just like roasting coffee you get to take your little taster out and be like "Ooh, dude 100 mm, that's, like that's that. precisely what i do it's it's a it's a um it's like a marker that you can touch every time and learn something a little bit new from depending on how how long you want to touch it you know what i mean yeah exactly uh satch says kind of like watching the collective <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. If we can provide something like that for people, I am <laughs> job job well done. Let's shut it down. It's good to go. Um, we did have, uh, I have one point up here that uh, I wanted to touch back on. Uh, Carl asked or pointed out acidity of soil and also the drying process. Traditionally, Sumatra is dried on the ground after after harvest. Does that play into the overall profile of the coffee itself? Is how it's dried and all that stuff? Yeah, that's right. So processing plays a large part in the finished product. So as an example, when we spent six weeks in Vietnam, I've got a photo uh, on my phone, I could uh, probably pull it up and show it to you, but I won't bother. And and it's a, both Evan and Keegan squatting down on the side of a road in Vietnam, where all the coffee beans, all the cherries uh, are all laid out drying in the sun on the road. And you in some cases, you'd have to drive around patches of coffee beans, like literally on the tarmac road. Mm. Sometimes they'd be on tarps. Sometimes they'd be on dirt. Sometimes it'd be on tarp on a dirt. In this case, it was all uh, coffee 
cherries laid out in someone's front yard. So they were just squatting down and like actually tasting them. Good thing none went up a nose because they were quite small. Uh, so yeah, the the coffee can be processed a bunch of ways. And then that goes back to that, how it's referencing Ethiopian natural versus like a Guatemalan washed. Mm -hmm. So washed coffee is an example. When we were at uh, in Costa Rica, La Manita at that plantation, they wash their uh, coffee. So it'll get harvested. And, and the har harvesting process is just kind of like a fine grape, a fine wine. Mm -hmm. There's there's a timeline, a window of opportunity when it's like, pick now. And that's it. That's all. It's not like, oh, we've got 27 days to pick this crop. If you want to get select, then it's pick now. Mm -hmm. And so it's massive manpower handpicking. And then they're sorted out. So they'll the the coffee pickers are responsible to only pick the perfect coffee cherry and then uh not pick any floaters or stinkers or any bad uh, coffees uh cherries uh that that are immature or whatever yeah so they're picked and then they are floated down a water channel and they'll be processed so bad coffees will rise they'll be skimmed the other coffees they'll tumble down a big trough they'll go through a whole bunch of processing uh, uh routines and then in some cases they'll be left in big vats of water to ferment or to shed their uh, coffee uh, cherry the pulp of the fruit until there's just the beans so washed and and, and natural um, are quite different things the natural as an example can be picked laid out in the sunshine so that shrivels like I was trying to reference it as yeah. a raisin. And what that does is that that brings in more sugars into mm. the coffee bean itself. And so that cellular matrix, when it's first picked, is kind of like it's it's uh, open to suggestion, if you will, uh, from the sugars that are naturally wrapped around it. And over time and fermenting, uh, as an example, Elkin Guzman, the um, it, it's an orange bourbon uh, strain, hydro honey natural. This will start getting a little funky, a little almost like alcoholic uh, in its processing. And he also processes kind of aerobically or anaerobically. So there's there's lots of different experimental processes that can stack up with uh, washed or dry, for lack of a better term. And, and I've seen most of them and uh, and it does have an, a big impact on the coffee bean for sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's just that's just pick and process. Then it's got to get transported. And so as an example, I've got when I get back to Rosalind, fingers crossed within a couple of days, I'll be getting four different Nariño uh, coffees. Mm -hmm. uh, from Colombia, which I've already cupped, already bought, and, and I'm already looking forward to. Uh, and so those coffees in that area of Colombia, Nariño, it's a bit dodgy. And so uh, Frank Torres actually bought, bought a Frank Torres uh, from that uh, region. So I'll be roasting some of his new stuff. It's a Maracatura strain. Mm -hmm. It's got to get processed from their town. And, and it's a bit of a travel starter down and so the idea being the the longer it's on the road or the the different heat and cold cycles that are it's facing when it's being transported if it's being thrown on a big container ship out on the ocean for four months uh it all depends on how it got there if it's on a pack mule from the highlands of ethiopia down to a processing station and then onto a boat and then onto Sometimes it's flowing, sometimes it's all kinds of things. So the getting it to me, actually more correctly, getting it to my importer mm. and then my importer getting it to me, all of these steps have impact on the coffee bean for sure. I was just thinking that like if they were to fly a, a giant, you know, <laughs> satchel of, uh, <clears throat> of coffee beans that were um, just basically processed, the the pressure differences and the temperature differences will start to affect the bean, right? So like if it was to right. fly in the cargo hold, right. it's not. It, it's true. And so the it, it will, and same with on a ocean trawler mm -hmm. or an ocean vessel, um, it'll start taking on the air 
uh, salty right. air, of course. Yeah. So one, it, it'd be less so flying green bean, but uh, flying roasted bean has more impact. So mm -hmm. when I fly anywhere with coffee, I notice a difference uh, when I land for sure. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What kind of, um, let's say someone were just, they listen to this and they're like, man, coffee has some depth I didn't know about. How do, how do, where would they start to get into Like if they wanted to really develop their coffee game, if they wanted to say, you know what, I want to start where where would they start how would yeah, they get into it same same as i uh, mentioned to the other guy and as i mentioned to everyone when they asked me anything about coffee because james hoffman mm -hmm. james hoffman on youtube he i first bumped into him i actually spoke with him he wouldn't remember of course he was a super young kid scrawny pimply faced kid from london uh competing at a scaa competition way back in the day at a world championship and he's since gone on to become extremely knowledgeable knowledgeable about coffee and uh, as, as far as i'm concerned he's my baseline smes the subject matter expert for coffee i send everyone in his direction he's covered a lot of material i really like his science-minded approach he he he's a detailed oriented guy with a boatload of experience, a boatload of connections, and a really, really curious mind. He does a lot of experimentations with uh, coffee extraction techniques and beverages and whatnot. He's, he's, he's not a guy who creates content to just create content. Mm. He's a smart guy, tons of experience, thinks in a unique way, puts out a good product. He'll, he'll teach anyone a thing or two about coffee. Awesome. Now, here's a random question, I guess. Not really random, but what is your preferred style of coffee? Like if you could choose <clears throat> one and you had to drink that for the rest of your life, would it be the pour overs? Would it be the espresso? Would it be mm, pour you know, overs? What, pour overs? All day, every day. Yeah. I mean, I've, I don't, honestly, I don't even know how many uh, espresso shots I've pulled in my life. A lot. A couple. Um, yeah, way more than uh, pour-overs, that's for sure. Uh, but I love pour-over. I love the clarity, the transparency, the insight as to what the farmer was trying to produce and what the roaster was trying to produce. Uh, if it's my roast, I've, obviously I know what I did. But if it's another roaster's, I'm trying to figure out that as well. So a pour-over will, I believe, give anyone the greatest insight as to what that coffee is all about. If you use a good uh, technique when you're pouring, doing your pour over. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. I probably am. But the pour over is a specific, uh, a measured amount of uh, ground coffee, a measured amount of specific temperatured water. And then it's just through a coffee filter into the cup directly, right? Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, that's right. But I'll say this, that what you just described, it should be the same for every form of extraction technique. So all of all of your variables should be controlled. So the weight, the grind, the temperature, the volume, the time, all of these things should be controlled. And so uh, on the pour over as the example, uh, I do about a 15 to one ratio, sometimes a 16 to one ratio. So what I mean by that is if I'm using 18 grams of coffee beans, then I'm gonna use 270 grams of water so mm -hmm. 15 to 1 ratio. Um, so that's going to provide a certain amount of you can test if you've done a good extraction based on the, for lack of a better term, osmolality or the uh, density of the coffee. Or you can uh, read it through a BRICS reading uh, for sugar sweetnesses. You can get your super nerd on. But all of that to say that a 15 to 1 ratio on a pour over and your temperature, depending on whether it's high grown, low grown, the light or dark roast, et cetera. I think if you kind of hang out in a 203 degree Fahrenheit sort of temperature for your uh, water, and then uh, then you're on the, on the watch, you know, uh, a slow pour with a certain timing to end at a certain point. Um, yeah, I mean, there's science involved. The, the more attention you pay, to the detail of things, the more you can make it 
a consistent product over a period of time so that you can then start trending out. Oh, a month ago, my coffee sucked, but this month it's getting better because of dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, growing up out in the country where <laughs> I would watch people take a percolator. It's like an old school coffee thing, fill it up in the stream, put it on the water, throw a chunk of uh, ground coffee in there and wait. Yeah. I mean, that was coffee. And today coffee is coffee. And 30 years from now, coffee will be coffee, but the coffee of 30 years ago, there'll be more nuance. There'll be yeah. new extractions. There'll be molecular devices that mm. instantaneously through vibration bring the coffee up to spec or whatever. I mean, who knows what will be showing up uh, coming down the pipeline, but it'll still be coffee, but it'll suck 30 years from now. The person who is brewing that coffee is not yeah. paying attention. Yeah. You can have the best coffee in the world, but if, if you're not in, if you don't have your head in the moment, if you're not in the game, I mean, go down to Tim Hortons and buy yourself a double double. Yeah, I think this. But is, if you want to get in the game, if you want to pay attention, if you want to make it all that it can be, well, it's a fun game. This is, um, you know, I mean, you and I both had this where you get the uh, the giant black coffee um, percolator out in the field, or just the the quick pour over from the army, which is just like the worst coffee you can imagine that it's just yeah uh, but sometimes that's what you need or sometimes that's all that's available um but the the key i think is this is that i know lots of people out on the ranch that think they're great shots with a rifle mm. and and they are in their realm right they can yeah. pick up the rifle on and the bang farm. nail a gopher done right but there's a difference between that and being a sniper Right. And there's science and development and skill sets and stacking levels. and all levels to the game. Right. And so I, when we started talking about coffee, this is kind of the point I wanted to bring across was the fact that everything has levels to the game. Everything. So if you think that you are at the top of the game, if you think you're the SME, you're thus me, I'm pretty sure there's another level above you. Oh, yeah. I mean, James Hoffman, that dude has forgotten more than I'll ever know. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, go go find people like that. Yeah. And then dedicate yourself to it, I think, is the other part of it. Because, again, I could sit down with a coffee with you, with one of your coffees, and it would be a different experience than if I just had your coffee beans at my house. Mm -hmm. Right? And so there is a... Mm, there's a dedication required in order to see that next level, in order to get to that next level. And then another level of dedication to get to the next level above that. Oh, yeah. So I it, think that should be drudgery. And that's the point, I suppose, is, you know, if you want to get into the coffee game or the fitness game or the being all that you can be game, whatever. I mean, you got to commit. You got to find mm -hmm. a way to make it a game. You got you to gotta make it fun. If you want to seek the next level, it, it shouldn't feel like, no way do I want that next level. It should feel like, oh, yeah, bring that next level. Mm. Yeah, see, and I, I'm I'm just getting there right now with a few of my different things. I finally got my bike back out, so I'm, I'm getting back into riding. And I tried to... Uh, Dude, you'll be evil Knievel by this summer. I should be, hopefully. Yeah, you We're will. Gonna, I got to get some, uh, I got to get some riding time in because it doesn't feel... <laughs> the same as when i used to ride because i used to do a lot of downhill and i used to do a lot of like jumping and trials and mm. anything i could get my hands on where i could go over stuff and around things and uh lots of speed and uh i don't i don't i don't feel the same about it anymore when i'm on the when i'm on the bike so now i gotta find a new realm to to engage on my You'll bike figure it out it takes more than one ride in oh, for sure. seven years you know what i'm saying <laughs> Yeah, it's been uh, like I. Funny thing is, I got my I got this bike uh, because my previous three bikes had been stolen. Oh, wow. at, in a, in a row, it was pretty painful, and I was at the point where I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just not have a bike. <laughs> just keep getting taken from me. So, um, we went out and got this one, and then all of last summer was I, I was going to say 
lost, but my priority was getting my, my house sold and getting moved. And right. I wasn't thinking about writing, so I didn't really touch it at all last year. And I got on it for the first time yesterday, no, two days ago. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Ooh, I need to do this more. <laughs> well, and, it won't do it itself. That is very true. I mean, I could, <laughs> otherwise it would just get, uh, uh, I'd have lots of skill sets over the years, but I don't have those anymore. And I got to rebuild those skill sets. I tried to do off a little, um, what is it? Uh, the little curb, you know, at oh, yeah. the intersection, just tried to get a little hop off the end of it. And I was just like, mm. it didn't, didn't work the way I wanted it to. And I was like, I got to rebuild some muscles and some reintegrate some pieces that I used to have that I don't have anymore. So, um, any other points on coffee or moments or, um, anything we've been talking about? I don't really have, but my wife is impatiently marching back and forth, arranging the hotel room to get us out of here a bit sooner. So we can sum up sooner rather than we can shut her down. No problem. Any, um, any final points for today or on for anybody out there watching anything that they can do better um, through the day to be yeah, a better? You know, the, uh, just to try to stay in the coffee theme on how to become better if no one knows how to become better at coffee. Well, guess what? There's these things called subject matter experts located in your town. Baristas. Mm. Go to a good coffee shop. Not a, not a bad coffee shop, a good coffee shop. Don't go to Tim Hortons and ask for any advice. Go find a, a, a funky little coffee shop that's making good coffee, like actually making pour overs. Mm. Talk to the staff, see what their recommendations are. Just hang out with them, chat, watch what they do, ask them why they do it. Get curious about coffee, but don't get curious at Tim Hortons. Go get curious at a coffee shop that's actually doing pour overs and you'll start learning. You might get interested in it. The next thing you know, maybe you're buying a bag of beans from them and you're swapping stories back and forth about, well, I tasted this, but I didn't taste that. How do I taste that? So interact with people who are subject matter experts in your town, for lack of a better title. I like that. I like that. Elevate your game by finding mm-hmm. people who are on the next rung up and then keep for working. For sure, for sure. I like that a lot. All right, well, um, while we while we learn about more coffee and we, uh, we build our palate, we can grow our appreciation of coffee in and of itself. And we can do that every day here on The Collective. See you all tomorrow. Jimo. Jimo.